You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about their journeys, all the twists, the turns, the choices, doubts, fears, wins, ahas that got them to where they are today and how they navigate a lot of that stuff still today. Because what I've learned over and over and over again is that our joy, our worth, our feelings of being enough, of being successful, of being loved aren't out there somewhere. They don't magically come true when we get to that spot. Once I have this, then I'll feel this. Nope, you might feel it for a tiny bit and then you're gonna put it, pin it on something bigger, something else. It's up to us to claim it every single day for ourselves. We have to claim our joy, our worth, our value, our enoughness. And on today's episode, I get into that with my good friend, longtime friend, John Morrow. He's an artist, philosopher, storyteller, keeper of color, which was the title of his book that came out this year. He's introduced me to a, a lot of amazing friends in my life and teachers. Uh, he's a bit of a workshopaholic person, which we talk about in this episode, a seeker, a learner. I love him very much. He's been a sought after artist, worked with people such as Madonna, MTV, and was even commissioned to create a portrait of the Dalai Lama for his 80th birthday. This year, he wrote and illustrated the book, A Keepers of Color, which I mentioned. It's a hero's journey activity book, helping the reader go confidently after their dreams. Whoa, it's kind of like an adult coloring book, but so much deeper. Anyway, let's get into this conversation with John. And by the way, I've known him for so long and knew little of this. <laughs> so sit down with your friends and really get into the conversations of their lives. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Hi, John. Trisha, so good to be here. It's fun because I've known you for many, many years now, but I don't feel like I actually know much of like your backstory. Like we're just like so in the present with each other. <laughs> yeah, we kind of hit, we, we, our friendship hit full stride. <laughs> Which is awesome. But now I'm interested. So as I've always known you as an artist mm -hmm. doing different things with your art, was that, were you all growing up, like always into art? Did you go to school? Like how did your career as an artist become? Like I said, it's taken many different shapes, but as far as I've known, John Morrow, artist. Yeah. Um, well, it's still as, as, you know, in the transformation game, it's always, always evolving. But yeah. my little backstory for sure was, yeah, I would, I would say that I've been an artist my whole life. I mean, I really, I remember my parents telling me that my first grade teacher kind of took them aside and said, I think we have an artist on our hands because so cute. everybody at that level is usually drawing maybe stick figures. And I was drawing like facial features and like embroidery and details on like clothing and things. Wow. So I've just always had an eye for detail. And I grew up, you know, um, I was a comic book. I wasn't a comic book reader, but I was like a superhero fan. And that's how I learned how to draw was copying comic book characters like mm. Spider-Man and Batman and the Hulk. And I would, they were, they were just these images that intrigued me probably archetypally or whatever. I, I think a lot of kids 
get drawn to superheroes and I just would draw them. And so I, as a little kid, I definitely played outside. I grew up in Vermont and loved the lakes and rivers and the, would go hunting for frogs and turtles and um, really loved nature as my like playground and exploratorium. Um, but if there was a rainy day or any time I could get inside, I would just draw and color and color. And I was not very environmental friendly uh, growing up uh, in the sense that I was a perfectionist and I would mm. like draw and if the paper was wrong, throw out the paper, you know, like new, new, start anew until my mom was like, okay, wait, that's what a pencil and eraser is for. Like you can start <laughs> over. We're not going to be just wasting paper just because you've made a, a, a incorrect line. I've always loved to draw and especially coloring. Coloring was always my favorite thing. And I don't really remember being into coloring books, but I loved drawing the outlines of characters and then coloring them in. What, so like you remember the joy of coloring in the character once you drew it. Totally. Coloring, That's so interesting. Yeah. Coloring was my meditation before I ever knew about meditation. And now you can mm. see there's a whole coloring, you know, it's, a, it's brought back. There's adult coloring movement and it's a way that even therapists will give their patients to calm down, you know, anxiety reducing, relax. And it accesses, I think, a place in the brain. I mean, I don't know the exact science behind it, but it allows you to both focus all of your energy on one thing um, and kind of give your all to a, a seemingly like, you know, a seemingly simple like movement or motion. Yeah. And I think there's something very calming and, and really it brings you into the present moment Yeah. Uh, without any real agenda. Like when someone's coloring for the sake of just doodling or playing, they're not like, there's no high stakes of this needs to make me money or this needs to sell. And it can, it can uh, just activate a real peaceful place in the brain that I think I somehow unknowingly stumbled upon young, but I've always loved. And do you feel like your parents were always like supportive? I mean, like their first grade teacher telling them that, did that like make you support? Did they, were they always encouraging you to do stuff with your art? Yep, they they definitely were. I think um, they, uh, you know, I was the oldest child, so they were, I was like the guinea pig, like figuring it out as, as I kind of went, right. you know, and there was no, neither of them had any real artistic, you know, sensibilities. Um, but, you know, they always made sure that it was in my life. And I remember, so this is a sort of a big skip, but I, I would find it, you know, uh, I would take classes and I, you know, I definitely, it was always something in my, in my world, but then skipped to like high school. I found a, a teacher. I think it was between my, what have been between my sophomore and junior year. I think my sophomore and junior year, my mom said, you're not staying at home all summer. You know, I had a little part-time job, but you're going to get out and do something. And so there was this nature drawing course. And there was this woman who came by sort of first art mentor and she would take us out on these nature walks and whether we'd collect a leaf or do landscape paintings. Um, we just worked in new mediums and she had a real love for color. And I, something about Vermont specifically, there's a real folk art movement. And so uh, there was this freedom where you didn't have to be like Michelangelo and a thousand percent realistic. You could just be representational and really push color and really play uh, abstractly. And there was something about taking that class that like unleashed my color sensibilities and she would give us like oil pastels and, and, and mediums that were uh, less controlled, you know, so it could be more playful. And when I finally did apply to college, she helped me get a portfolio together, which I applied to college. I didn't even think I was good enough to get to art school. So I applied to 
universities that had good art programs and then one art school. And when I got into art school, I was like, I'm going all in on this. And when I got accepted, the dean of students wrote a handwritten letter that said, we have never seen such a colorful bravado in a high school student. This is a clear attribute to like your mentor and teacher. Wow. Um, and you have a real sense of color and we'd love to have you, you know, please contact us if you have any other questions as you're making your decision. So that's so cool. And so interesting to me because I, you know, I'm someone that always felt like I wasn't artistic. So like to even like, wow, like there's people out there like commending you know like that sort of feedback that like that's so cool that that exists and that art schools exist and i'm sure there's so many people that are out there that are creatives and artists of different time kinds that like i feel like the world is very often being like no 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 steer this way mm -hmm. like that's cool that you're good at making that and drawing that whatever that's great but like get a job totally well that that was the thing you know my dad was a he worked at a factory his whole life he was really blue collar and my mom was more of a free spirit. And um, she's always worked with kids and been in education and um, now is a marriage and family therapist. Um, and so I had these sort of, my dad was definitely more um, wanting to make sure, like, just set yourself up and make sure you're responsible and get a job. And I think the art school thing was a little bit out of his comfort zone. But then when he came down and saw... Uh, the school and when he saw myself and saw my friends artwork, he just got it. He loved it. He was really, he really understood it. But I definitely had that kind of one voice of like responsible job, professionalism, and then another voice of like free spirit, go, you know, follow your art, follow your heart. So I had supportive parents and just the energetics of that, but I haven't had necessarily, this is where I'm kind of coming full circle now. I haven't, like most of our friends are musicians. Right. So I don't have as many like fine art or like visual art friends. Mm -hmm. And that is something I've been looking for is who's a model? Who's someone else I can kind of talk to about this as I navigate my way through, you know, I, I, I make my living currently as a graphic designer doing a lot of like branding. Um, but really what I've just sort of seen. So I, I wrote my first book, uh, The Keepers of Color, which is a hero's journey coloring book, actually. Um, and doing that really um, opened me up to a lot of things and also just sort of it opened me up to my own process. And I really saw like when people ask me, who's your favorite artist? I've never really, you know, said like Andy Warhol or Michelangelo. It's always been like the Walt Disney's or the Jim Henson's or the Shel Silverstein's. Oh. And so writing and illustrating my own stories feels so much more who I am than actually just an artist. You know, I've never sort of seen myself as someone who's going to make my living as a, having a shows in galleries. I think that may be part of what I do, you know, yeah. selling prints and um, having openings that, 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 that appeals to me. And that's an aspect, but to be able to bring these stories to life and write and illustrate them, that to me is what I realized when I wrote this, this is what I want to do. And now it's beginning to uh, happen. So currently. I'm working on three children's books. Amazing. And uh, I've got one almost done. Almost, It's all written, almost finished, illustrated. The other one is all written and kind of sketched out. And then the third one is just like, I've got the concept and I'm all excited about it. And I am just trying to catch up time-wise of like, how can I get these all done before more ideas keep coming through, you know? So, but yeah, that that something unlocked that in me about being a storyteller. And I don't even know what those people are. If you look up Walt Disney, if you look up Jim Henson or Shel Silverstein, they all or Tim Burton. They all have like multiple. They have multiple titles, 
filmmaker, right. storyteller, musician, poet, you know, animator. And so I would call them all visionaries, you know, but mm. that feels like a weird, hi, I'm John Morrow. I'm a visionary. You know, that feels like a weird title to either own, and maybe that's what I can help claim it on this, on yeah. this podcast. But I am looking to say, I'm, I'm looking to, and you know, you could probably attest to this, but I think all of my friends and all of our friends and people, they always say, oh, that feels like a John Morrow piece of art. So there is this sense of like what yeah. John Morrow's art is that sometimes I don't even know aside from it comes through me. But if you look at my art, I know it's hard to see in a podcast, but you can check me out, uh, johnmorrow.com. There's art. I do different styles. I have lots of different styles. There's not one particular, I'm not like a sculptor who only works in wood. I, I have, I would say the thing that, that, that is always consistent about my work is color. It's always bright, beautiful colors. And probably it's got a double meaning of some sort. There's always like a clever, like it points yeah. to something it's else. It's like insightful. Yeah. Great. Great way to put that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That word just came to me in that moment because I kept thinking storytelling, but yeah, it's very insightful because a lot of them are even like clever, clever feels like too small of a word, honestly. So insightful, like images that, yeah, like you said, when you're saying double, like saying things, but it's like deep. Mm -hmm. So but some of them, yeah, might be, I, yeah. Okay, well, we're just going to go with insightful. Insightful. Because like every it. other way I try to describe it using more words, I just keep coming back to insightful. <laughs> well, I've been having a hard time putting words to it as well. I know that it's going to be hard. You can be your own blind spot, but I've been having Send a hard us messages. Time. Look at johnmorrow.com. Yeah, seriously. And describe what you're seeing. <laughs> Please, help me. Help me write my bio. Yeah, tell me who I am. Please. <laughs> Well, okay. I love all that. I'm going to go back uh -huh. to in college. You said you applied to a bunch of different universities that had art programs uh -huh. and then got into the art school. Were your parents supportive of you choosing the art school or were they trying to like talk you into getting? Because when you graduate art school, what do you got? Do you get a Bachelor of Arts or do you get? Yep. I have a BFA. So you do it. I have a BFA and then I also have an MA. I did a one-year master's program after my four years. So my, you know, it was an interesting thing. It was my parents were getting divorced right between my junior and senior year of high school. Mm. So that was kind of happening as I was needing to kind of make a decision about where right. I was going to go. So it was a very strange time for me. And it was like a, you know, there was a little emotional trauma there of like, uh, but also like wanting to get out of the house. I'm like, this is, yeah. let me, I'm ready to launch here. Let me go out and go out on my own and not be dealing with this icky situation that I, you know, you can't really escape that anyways. So they were, they were generally supportive. I think my dad, there was a sense of him, I think, wanting, I got into Syracuse, which is a really good studio art program. And I think at some level, I mean, he was, he literally was fine with me doing anything, but I think there was this, we had, he was my, um, me and my younger brothers, he was our baseball literally coach and we had sports in common and can do that. And I think there would have been this like, love of like he could have rooted for a team mm. as well you know and told the guys at work like you know going to syracuse or there could have been that common bond but right i i, I knew that i personally if i'm gonna if i'm gonna major in art this is the thing that i know i'm good at and want to give my life to i'm gonna go all in you know and because i got into this art school i it just was a it was a that was my green light of like you have this opportunity go for it and so um i went and art school was this incredible, incredible, like life-changing experience because there were these kids who came from all races, religions, backgrounds, diversities, 
but we all had art in common. So there was this mutual like respect that everybody had, you know, and there were kids like, you know, who came from like deep, deep inner city life, you know, but, but, Mm. and had like such trauma, but art was their lifeline, you know? And so, and then there were these, um, other kids that, uh, there are, I mean, I guess there's still to this day, uh, there's all art high schools and there's like after school programs that people go to. And so I remember this moment, I kind of tell it, tell it's one of my stories, but I remember this moment, the cool, like one of the coolest things about art school was, and I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is in Baltimore. Uh, but every single wall of the campus, when you walk around, becomes like an art gallery, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're always showcasing whether it's student or teacher's work or a visiting artist. Every, you're always surrounded by art and inspiration. It's really, it's like a giant Pinterest board before Pinterest was around. And I remember my freshman year walking around this building and there was this huge, like, probably five feet high, like eight, eight feet wide charcoal, like uh, mixed media, but mostly charcoal drawing. And it was just massive and huge of these figures kind of dancing and walking through sunflowers, sunflower field. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I can't wait till I'm a senior till I can draw like that. And I got up to the little title piece and it said, Armando Salas, freshman. (laughs) And I was like, are you kidding? It really like it blew me away that someone could be that good as a freshman. And I realized that he, he went to one of those all art high schools. And then the, the best part of the story is that we ended up becoming best friends and we were roommates our, our last two years of school. So he was um, just an inspiration. He's still a friend to this day, but, but to be able to really be pushed and inspired by other artists honing their craft was such a gift and being like steeped in that and immersed in that. You didn't have to worry about the money. You just could kind of go there and create. And there are people who use oh, right, making art. Then you mean like the money of buying the tools, the canvases, the whatever. Whereas in art school, it's there. Yeah. I mean, you still you, had to, got to buy yeah, supplies. Like part but, of, yeah. But you had your assignments given to you and you had your, you had um, your sort of social circles and you had, you had a little structure, but there was no, it was really a, like a Petri dish for exploration. You could really discover what you wanted to do. And, and you had, you had, studios and you had like you know you had supplies you could do pottery you could do sculpture you could do painting and there were all, everything was sort of provided there for you you know it was a big playground so it also because you're with all artists all the time and like you said some from the art schools already like did was there negative effects of that like did you find yourself getting like doubting yourself or just using that as more inspiration uh my freshman year was really tough my freshman year I got a couple of C's and now in mm. retrospect, I can look back and see like, okay, but that was a real, like a real wake up call for me because I'm like, here I am. Like, this is the only thing I think I'm relatively good at. And I just got C's like, ooh, like, you know, this is, you know, this is intense. But then <laughs> what I realized, and I think this woman has since left, but there's this one woman kind of crazy who she basically said to us, it was my drawing teacher. She said, okay, you're all freshman drawers. So, uh, the first semester, um, none of you are good enough to get an A. So the first semester, one of you will get a B and the rest will get C's. And the second semester, one of you will get an A and the rest will get B's. You know, in retrospect now I go like, that's, she should not be teaching. Like she should not be accredited, you know? But at the time I was like, maybe this is how things go. You know, like I, I was never like a, you know, stir up the hornet's nest thing. So that was one of the C's. And then the other was this woman who, so I went to school in Baltimore, but 
there was a big there's a big art scene in like Philadelphia and New York and DC and they're kind of all right near Baltimore and so a lot of a lot of uh, visiting artists will come and be teachers and so there's this woman who is a, fem- a feminist a minimalist and a modernist you know all the ones so one of those real almost cliche uh you know in the art world you know people who just can look at and say oh this must be worth billions of dollars because it's so avant-garde and like for instance there was this one kid who got a full ride he got a full boat to the to school but he ended up just and this is one of the shadowy things i would say around art school is there were kids who just you know went to school and did a lot of drugs and really kind of went down that path like right. you know this kid really was one of those people who got there full ride and just had all this talent and potential, but just sort of, you know, uh, used art school as like a, you know, indulgent, you know, indulgent, you know, he just, he kind of crashed and burned, but so he almost never showed up for, for classes. He was sort of there here and there, he would do things. And then for the final project, all he brought in was one of those, you know, those velvet ropes that security guards have uh-huh. to like kind of block away things. So it's got that little, like a movie line or like a bouncer line. Yeah. He just brought in one of those, uh, those velvet ropes hanging between two posts, and he just put it in front of a wall, and that was it. I was <laughs> almost to say, like, this blank wall, like, stick, stay back from this to sort of see the art. And she flipped. She loved it, she and loved she gave it. him an A-plus for the semester, even though he had missed most <laughs> of the classes. And that's when I kind of realized that, like, the system was rigged a little bit. I mean, it just, art, going to art school was strange because you were, the teachers gave you their grades. So you were dependent on pleasing them to pass, right? And so some had their particular styles. But yeah, there's yeah, there's scale for grades and especially like visiting artists who might not be like, oh, I have no gone through this is how we're supposed to teach in grade that it's like, yeah. So I transferred out of her class, thank goodness. Uh she, you know, I was supposed to have her for the first two semester for uh the first semester and second semester. The first semester, that was the other thing. The first semester was called Visual communication, I believe, and everything had to be in black and white. Uh, <laughs> and then, which was so out of my element. I mean, I could do it, but it was so out of my element. And then the second course was called color theory, so you were in you were in all color. But I just knew I was not going to have her like I was not going to have her for color. So I transferred. Oh, actually, let me before before I go. So what I did, just realizing the absurdity that I really had to play her game to like to get an A. So. I just made up the craziest thing I could think of for my final project. I just, so what I did was I did all these, you know, like the, uh, they look a lot like the Leonardo da Vinci, like an anatomical drawings that he did kind of like, of like the muscles and the body, mm-hmm. like cadavers and things. So I would take, I did a bunch of drawings like that. And then I would put them, I put them in. So it was just the randomest thing I could think of. I was like, what, did, what would my, what would a day in the life of an artist look like? So I, I had a little pillow out there and then I, I sewed some drawings onto a pillow and then I put some at the bottom of a bowl of cereal, like a drawing at the bottom of a bowl of cereal. And then I put one like a, I made one into like a tie on a shirt as if you were going to kind of go to get ready for that. And then I put one, I don't know, like a, I forget, like come home and, and do something. But I just made like a daily routine with these drawings. And it was just because it was so conceptual, she liked it and she actually gave me an A for that. But it was, 
the hard part was I had to like do that to get an A and I would never use that piece in my portfolio. It meant like nothing to me. It, didn't, it was basically- So you didn't feel like you were like growing your skills. It's like, let me figure out how to please this teacher. Yes. And that's been an interesting thing to, because that's a real thing. And even with a client, like I was just about class, to say, well, that's if you're doing graphic design. It sounds like that's what you got to do. You sort of have to take yourself out of it. Yep. And that's the hardest thing for me. And that's the thing that I've struggled with the most probably- you know, as a professional as well of like, ah, oh, I just want to do what I want to do, but I'm getting paid. So I need to kind of get into their world. And, uh, and, you know, I've worked with incredible clients and, um, and who mostly come to me because they love what I do and want me to kind of play and, and romp around and do that. Um, so I, I haven't had, I've definitely had clients that are more difficult to work with or just want, are trying to use me to bring their vision to life, which can be more difficult. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, that was that was a difficult thing. And so there were teachers who who really taught their own style and wanted you to learn that style and sort of and and get grades that way. And then there were ones who I still stay in touch with who really like took an interest in like, what do you love? You know, what's 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 what interests you and kind of really would pull your style out of you. And those were just the amazing teachers. And one I still my there's a woman named Susan Waters Eller and she's still a lifelong friend and mentor and she um she always saw me as a peer you know she even realized okay like she just had the energy of listen here's our dynamic I'm teacher you're a student we're both artists here uh, I got to play the role to give you a grade here but she really just saw every student as an artist who was developing and figuring it out and she Very just cool. had she just had that little humble beginner's mind mentality and was so and. And she never got involved in like student politics or the school politics. She just kind of stayed in her, she stood in her lane, you know, stayed in her lane and just offered this course. And the people who really took it and found it really, really loved it. So, yeah. So where did you, what happens when you get out of art school? Great question. Well, for me, I stayed in Baltimore for that summer. So uh, let's see, that was, that was the summer of 2001. And so I moved to Boston uh, a friend of mine had a place opening up a room. I had a room for rent uh, up in Boston. I was like, oh, I love Boston. I'll go there. That'll be a great way to sort of start my little career. So I moved there September 1st, 2001. And then 10 days later, September 11th happened. So for me, it was really weird. Nothing happened. You know, I had to get a job at a Starbucks. That's what happened mm. out of art school. What was your, did you have like an idea of this is the type of work I'm going to look for? Well, I had a portfolio and started taking interviews, you know, at creative agencies and, and things. And to a lot be of, a graphic designer? To be a graphic designer or an art director or oh, okay. kind of, you know, start working for an agency and just, you know, do my due diligence and sort of work my way up. Does that seem, it seems like from most of what I've heard, people with artistic art background, that it's mostly like, yeah, advertising agency, mm -hmm. art director graphic designer are those the most common jobs i'd say so seek? yeah i mean this wasn't it was 2001 i mean that was still yeah i mean the internet the sort of silicon valley startup was still all kind of happening you know and uh so what it really what happened is i got a job at a you know and my my friends who graduated the year before all got jobs at pretty big agencies and were like designers mm. at like a friend of mine was a designer at Harper Collins doing book covers. So that's and, what you had in mind. Like this is possible yeah, for me. Exactly. Another friend was at like West Elm and you know, doing that's, that's what I just assumed that I could, that I could do use my imagination and my ideas to um, help bring a brand forward, you know, and help make them more colorful or creative. That's what I was hoping to do. And then what, when I, when that never happened, whether it was the universe kind of pushing me or whatever, I, 
I worked at a Starbucks and um, because I had worked, you know, I did, I was a barista in college and um, I just started freelancing. And um, there was a, there was this one company that kind of, uh, it's called Hats for Hope. And they made these little hats for uh, cancer patients who like were going through chemo and mm -hmm. they would lose all their hair. So they would wear this hat and then they would, you know, the hats would also big at the races, like, you know, the, the walks or, or the you know, runs for, for right. cancer. And they would, they had this little cool little hat and they had a little frame in there. You could kind of put a picture of who you were running for, you know, they did these little really funky, cool so you got uh, work hats. as a freelance designer for got, them. For them, yep. I would do some of their branding and postcards and collateral. And then... Um, and was that just you, like, putting yourself out there? Yep. They... Uh, I forget how she found... I really do forget how she found out that I was an artist. But I said, yeah, I've done art and design. And she goes, oh, we have some work. You want to take a shot at it? And I did. And she, they loved it. They flipped out. And that was, like, my first ever client. Now, ironically, probably my... I would say, well, let's see. And then I was also doing, my friends were in bands. A lot of my friends and my brothers are both in bands. And so I would do little flyers for them, like shows. And then that's actually the same time as when I first heard about Jason, Jason Mraz. And so he uh, was still playing shows at, in San Diego, like at Java Joe's, but I'd heard, heard about his music kind of in the tail end of the Napster days, you know? And I had just uh, uh, downloaded a bunch of his music and fell in love with it and he still had his email on his website at the time and i um mocked up some designs based on his music and sent it to him and we started a conversation and then that's how we met became friends and inspired inspirations for each other and i then, and then never knew that yeah and then i that, realized as we were talking that i had no idea <laughs> How you met Jason because that's how I know you. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's how I met him. And we, we kind of met on the internet. Um, <laughs> and well, we met in person, actually. There was a back in that 2000, 2001, 2002 was sort of the birth, rebirth of the singer songwriter. It's like when John Mayer and yeah. uh, Jack Johnson and uh, Nora Jones and Howie Day and like, you know, all those, Howie Matt Nathanson, Day. all those people were really. Um, finding their, there, there was just a singer songwriter, like, you know, uh, like it was a, a renaissance. So I loved all those guys. And I, I had tickets to go see Howie Day at the show in Vermont for a long time. And Jason was basically just paying, was, I was like, man, is he ever gonna come to the East coast? And then I think Jewel like took him out on tour. And so she took him out on tour and he was playing some of these East coast shows. And the next thing I knew, I looked up and he was playing at the show in Vermont he happened to be opening for Howie Day, which I already had tickets for. He just somehow became the opener and I oh, already funny. had tickets. So I went to the show, he opened and like he was actually, I mean, he, he was actually way better. Him and Toka and Ian were actually, I thought, way better than Howie. And I just went up to him and said, hey, I'm John Morrow. We've been emailing. He's like, you're John Morrow. Amazing. And, and at that point, you just sent him some things. Was he using them like he'd pay him or you just were just like, you were just like, hey, here you go. His first record hadn't even come out yet yeah. when we were emailing. And then by the time when I saw him, his record had just come out and he said, Hey, listen, my record just came out. The manager really wants to use this like rooster theme because there was a little rooster on the waiting for my rocket to come album. He's like, can you play with this? Can you play with this like theme and come back? And so I did, I mocked up some designs there and then that's actually how we started. And we just, and then I basically got to go along for the ride with him, you know, was he then. So then 
the remedy kind of took off and then and then they, the label then like oh, okay then they actually start to pay you yep, exactly to create the album art to work and tour posters and, stuff and like merchandise that. and all that sort of stuff yep so that's uh and at and that then, time like are you still working at starbucks when that starts to happen uh, great question when do you go f- you you I, start getting enough freelance work I don't think I was working at Starbucks when that happened. I was actually, I had moved back to Baltimore because I, oh, right. there was a, uh, a video game company that I it was an intern for right after school. And then they actually expanded and were hiring. So they, they called some of the old people back. And so, yeah, I, I, so about a year and a half after the Starbucks, I got a job at a video game company where I was doing computer graphics and, um, it, uh, I, but instantly I kind of knew like, this is not for you. This is not for me. I feel bad because this is someone else's dream job. Right, and I'm like literally in someone else's seat. Someone else could be, <laughs> this is someone else's dream job and I'm taking up their space here, you know? So I just told myself, I'm not going to be here in a year. And then, so I had my nine to five and then I had what I called my five to nine. And there was, there was some unpleasant, like I probably, I probably averaged three to four hours a night of sleep from like. 25 to 26, ages 25 to 26, just staying up and getting my freelance career kind of off the ground. And that's a lot of when the, when Jason and the other, you know, Jason, when he first started, he had a merch, his merch company was handled by the same people who did like Madonna. And she saw some of his, like her team saw some of his stuff and asked, reached out to me. So like Madonna was like the second musician that ever no like reached way. out. I never yeah. knew that. So I got to do stuff for her. And then I had a friend. So I had a friend who was uh, working security at a Dave Matthews show. And I said, hey, I've always wanted to work for Dave. I had done some, ba- I had done some posters for him and his band. I've always wanted to do stuff for Dave. Can I give you, can I send you a little portfolio? Uh, and then you can you hand it to the merchandise guy? And he did. And then two days later, three days later, I got an email from them. They said, hey, we really love your stuff. That's amazing. So I've always had the best luck, like cold calling, like cold emailing, and yeah. just like sending stuff out there. But that's also you're not just like, hey, I'd love to work with you. Like you're putting time into totally. making stuff. Yep. For that hopes that they will see something in it. Exactly. And so that that's always worked for me. It's not yeah. about like, hey, pick me, pick me. It's like, let me show you what I can do. And there's a bit of like spec work or like pro bono work you do. Yeah. Um, out of your own fandom that you can show off and that usually I've always as a musician or as a a fan of music, I've always designed as a fan for the fans. And I think that's why my Mm. work has resonated a lot. Right. Cause you're like taking a different point of view than the artists would. They might be like, okay, what do I want them to get from this album or this tour or something like that? But the fans might like we're seeing something different. Totally. Like, I mean, I've seen, you've probably seen it too. Even we'll talk about Jason for a second here, but I've, you know, so they know he's, you know, likes avocados, you know? And so they'll just, they'll, oh, that'll, that we'll do that. We'll do an avocado themed thing. Whereas I, and that totally works and it embodies him and it represents him, but I would always look for like song lyrics yeah. and that's actually what I would draw from. And, right. you know, as, because I was an illustration major and we were taught to convert uh, text into imagery. And so lyrics mm-hmm. specifically, especially when I worked with songwriters, lyrics always filled my mind with imagery. And that's, yeah, like usually someone connects with a song so much because of a lyric. Yeah, exactly. And like what it made them feel or a memory they have or whatever. Yeah. So that's always been why I think I've worked well 
and loved working with musicians is because their songs speak to me and I can, you know, create the visual equivalent of them. Um, I was going to say, because you're so insightful. I'm so insightful. <laughs> exactly. Um, so how long did you end up working at the Get Video, Video Game, Game Company? About another year and a half. About a year and a half too. So I had this year and a half thing. And you left, and you were like fully freelance or did you? Okay. Tell, I'm going to tell a story. You ready? This is a good story. This is a perfect podcast story. Okay. So I knew I didn't want to be there. I knew I was in, I knew I was just energetically out of alignment yeah. at this video game company. Now the company was amazing. It's called Firaxis Games. They did Civilization. A lot of people like know and grew up and love that game. Phenomenal. I'm still friends with the people there. Like it was a really amazing company. Donna was the secretary who just, I just, we love each other so much and she misses me and wishes I stayed forever. Um, yeah, I had such an amazing relationship with that company and those people. Um, and I, I just knew I wasn't supposed to be there. So what I had done was I, my roommate in college had, uh, went to art school that Armando Salas, that same guy that I told you did that sunflower, sunflower drawing. He, we were roommates, but he, he would take, um, he took film classes. And so he is a cinematographer. He really paints with light. He's amazing. And he also can like paint, literally paint or draw with light, but really he's a cinematographer now. And um, knows how to make films. He's been on Ozark. He's a, he's worked for Ozark and a whole bunch of other um, amazing shows. Anyways, he graduated, he went to Florida state for grad school and, you know, majored in cinematography. And I went down and saw, I went to his graduation and saw all of the student films. And I was, Oh, by the way, my when I did the one year graduate program in college, I took a video class and I, fell in love with it. it was that, and was that immediately after you yep. got out of? Really, it was okay. just, just an extension year. They, if you had enough credits, you could actually um, take, you could do a one-year master's. And I, and I did that. The con, what the pro was, I learned to do some digital things, you know, and that gave me a sense of the computer, right? That's totally the pro. The con was I waited an extra year and then that whole September 11th thing happened. You know, if I had graduated <laughs> the year before, I might be in a different, you know, one of those left turn, right turn things. Right. So you might have been at another um, big agency that you eventually would have realized you didn't want to be at. I probably would. I might may or may not be talking to you <laughs> if, if I took that. So. I think I know you and I feel like, yeah, you might not know you, but yeah, you probably wouldn't still have been at like, oh, great. I got this job and I'm working here the rest of my life. Well, it was an interesting thing. I, I, so let's go back. We're going all over the place. But back to my when I was graduating just from my senior year of college, I knew I knew I love and one of the things you know about me is I just love learning. Like if I could be mm -hmm. a lifelong student, I would. I am a workshopaholic. I love transformation. It's actually something I, I was going to get into. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I am your workshopaholic. Get, get in there with me. Get in there with me. But I, I really do. I love learning. I love staying in that conversation. Of but, you know, there's, there's a shadow side too where it's like, are you ever done seeking? Are you ever like enough, you know? But um, I really, I was a little scared to leave the, the confines of school and go out. I wanted, to, I wanted to learn some more. So I applied to the School of Visual Arts, which is in New York, uh, to their illustration master's program. And they only accept seven kids a year, and I got in. And so that was a huge thing. And then I also got into my one-year master's program at the school I was at. So I was uh, like really in this moment of like big choice. Do I do illustration? Do I go to New York City? Or do I stay where I'm at and learn this new craft? You know? And it was like my mom still talks about it. It was like I was really like it, it, it was like tearing me apart. Like I felt like this was like life or death. Ah, oh, I can't do both. How do I do this? And I ultimately ended up choosing, chose to stay into the digital program, which was great. And I actually had my 
fell in love for the first time and had a really beautiful, there was lots of lessons that came with that. Um, so where was I going with that? So that's actually, that's what, <laughs> that's what got me into the digital realm. And so that led me into the computer graphics, uh, company. Um, and then, so, and I also did a one, I did a, I did a, a film and video last semester there. And I loved it. I got so into it. I really I did a couple of music videos because I love music. And I was like, this is such an amazing medium. Shooting and editing. And, you know, as an image maker, film is 24 frames a second. It's like 24, like 24 different images in a second. It's like the ultimate image making medium. And this that's I I I and it was storytelling. And I I I loved it. But it was such a tease because I only had one semester and then I graduated. I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do with my life? So um Armando, cut back to Armando, my old roommate, went to film school. I went down and saw the saw the um student films. Student and- films fell immediately in love with them. I was like, this is what I want to do. I wanna I'm gonna actually gonna I wanna go to film school. So I was at the video game company. I applied to film school. So this is also after you're doing sort of getting some success in designing for artists. Yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly. And I think I had a little bit of um one of the things I've been really trying to do, even to this day, is I've been trying to go from 2D to 3D. <laughs> and the, all the graphic design was still 2D. It was like image, image. And I just wanted to tell more diverse stories. And um, so I went down to the film graduation at Florida State, fell in love with it, and just felt like the universe was giving me a sign. This is everything. All my cells were just like a buzz, feeling like this was great. So. I go, okay, I'm going to apply to film school. This will help me get out of my job at the video game, video game company, and I'm going to do something with my life. Now, I applied. Jason actually wrote me a letter of recommendation. My old uh, art school teacher wrote me a letter of recommendation. And Armando, the guy who went there, he actually, they give a, they give a student um, Oscar. Like the Oscars actually give like one student an award every year, and he actually got it. And so he really revolutionized that program, and he wrote me a letter of recommendation. So I got to, um, I got to, I got past several rounds of the application process and then got, had to go for like the final round of like a, an in-person interview. And when I was there, they just grilled me with these questions. And there's this one person who I think thought was, I was going to be the weird avant-garde artist who like in American Beauty where like he shoots the plastic bag kind of <laughs> dancing in the wind. I think he just thought I was going to be like that kind of filmmaker. And, uh, you know, I just told my stories and, and, uh, I felt like I did really, really well. And so they'd say, okay, we'll let you know in a couple of weeks, you know, whether you get in or not. And so I knew one way or another, I did not want to be going back to the video game company. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but what if I don't get into film school? What am I going to do? Yeah. So cut to, I had another friend living in PB here in San Diego. I had never, I had never been to San Diego before. Um, I'd been to Northern California. So I came out, fell in love with San Diego. And I was like, this is amazing. I think Jason was still in LA at the time. This house was the house that we're in right now was not was not in the picture. And I I felt sun-kissed and felt like San Diego is such a place. This is it. This is where I want this is where I want to be. Plan B San Diego. So San Diego is my plan B. And did you have an idea of what you're gonna do? You're just like, I'm gonna nope. go to San Diego. San I've got Diego. the freelance gigs. I've yep. been getting in the music industry. San Diego is what I will do with my life if I don't get into film school. It's like it's just it's it's something other than being in that seat at the video yeah. game company. It's just this feels energetically alive. So I loved it. Had a great time. Uh, so what back, happens? Came back, <laughs> came back, and then I got the like unacceptance letter. 
on acceptance yep, from, from okay. school. And I was like, man, oh, like, and I felt like I was getting, you know, I felt like I was getting this real pull. And when I was in San Diego, I was telling my mom, I was telling everybody, plan B San Diego. This is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. Plan B San Diego. So I finally come back at the de-acceptance letter. And I really think to myself, am I going to really move across country just because I had a good time, like a good weekend in San Diego? Am I really going to like pick up my life and do this? Because it was sunny and like, you know, spring breaky. So I go to Washington, D.C. I'm in Baltimore at the time. I drive down to Washington, D.C. to work with my buddy just for a night to get my head off the, the, the you know, the kind of disappointing news. We're just going to, you know, watch some movies and not think about things. Next day, I'm driving back. It takes about 45 minutes to get from D.C. to Baltimore. And there was this insane traffic jam where I literally think I went a mile in an hour. And it was one of the first days of nice days of spring. So I just rolled down my window, put on the radio, music was coming in. And uh, finally the traffic starts going. This is a super long story, but awesome. Um, <laughs> finally the traffic starts going and uh, there's this truck. There's this big, um, you know, it's not a tow truck, but it's, a, it's one of those big trailer trucks. And it's got in tow like a, one of those big yachts or a big, you know, giant boat. And all of a sudden it goes, I'm in the second of, of four lanes and it's in the third lane. And it just comes, whoom, like it just comes into my, like clearly did not see me, just comes over into my lane out of nowhere, like really cuts me off. And we're, you know, we're finally going to I'm like this guy, this, I'm going to get around this guy. And there's nothing wrong. There's it just out of nowhere. It just came into my lane. What's this guy's problem? So I finally, I go over to the first lane and go by him. And then I look on the boat and it says plan B San Diego, California. No way. And I'm in the middle of Virginia <laughs> and Maryland. And I was like, okay, that's why I'm going. Plan B. Plan B. San Diego. San Diego. So. Okay, uh, okay. Great story. Great I story. was a little bit like, where's this going? That's where I was going. Plan B. And that's what had me move there. And, uh, um, and the rest is sort of, you know, still unfold. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief pause. Did you know that I have a daily inspiration app? You can get it in the Google Play App Store. You can get it in the Apple App Store. It's only $3.99, one-time purchase, no ads, hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations at your fingertip. You can go to the app at any time, pull a card, swipe through, hit show me a card. It's kind of like a magical eight ball. You can put a little heart to save it. You can easily share it with Instagram, Facebook, friends, email. There's a journal in there to write stuff, keep it private, reflect on, on the thought that come up or whatever else is coming up in your life. You can also set a daily alert so that every day at whatever time you want, maybe it's first thing in the morning, maybe it's in the afternoon before you go to bed, you get a reminder to go check the app and pull a card. So I'm going to go open it right now. The first card I got says, I am right on time. I am right on time. All right, now I'm going to hit show me a card again. I am valued. I am loved. I am enough as I am beyond what has already happened and what will happen right now. I am. You are going to hit show me a card again. My potential to make money is limitless. I accept and call in money with ease. Last one, I'm going to share with you. What are you doing about what you want? What are you doing about what you want today? So as you can see, all sorts of different topics. It could hit you right where you need it. 
You might be like, "Mm, that's not the one I need and hit a different one. But a lot of times we get the one we need. And I even come to my own app when I'm feeling a little off, frustrated on the struggle bus. And bam, my own words soothe me. (laughs) So go get the app. It's called Own Your Awesome, Google Play, Apple App Store. Download. You got this. So then you moved to San Diego and you just continue to do freelance working. Yeah. I know eventually you find your way up to Northern California because exactly. that's where you were when I first yep. met you. I had this weird year and a half thing. So I was here for about a year and a half. And then I went up to San Francisco and Berkeley and uh, found Cafe Gratitude. And in Cafe Gratitude, I really found a community that was a lot like art school, but we had and transformation. When you, you're saying when you went up there, did you want to visit and then you discovered them? Or you at one point found yourself moving up there and then found Cafe Gratitude? Great question. I went up to, I knew I was moving there. And Why did you know you were moving there? Just for change. And I also loved the, I loved the, um, like the Berkeley and Oakland and San Francisco, certainly at that time. And I think still to this day, had a real like eco, you know, like all the like revolution that happened in Berkeley and Oakland in like the sixties is still sort of alive and yeah. well there. There's just activism there. There's a lot yeah. of social change, like a lot of social justice. Thinking, I guess. Say again? I said like forward thinking. Yep, exactly. Yep. Forward thinking. And, you know, they're one of, I mean, these are very, these are very kind of commonplace things at the time, but even in the trash cans back then, they have the regular trash and then above they have like recycling right. bottles, right? And they, um, they've been the first to like say no plastic, yeah. no plastic bags. And they're just always doing things that are yeah. forward thinking. And I loved it. And so um, went there, moved, in, moved with my friend Jen and we were looking for a place and we're having a really hard time. We were like, we, had, we had, were staying in a hotel thinking we we're going to find a place in like a day or two. And we we're having a really hard time finding a spot. And this is really pre- pre-iPhones, but also pre-internet cafe everywhere. So we had we had our Wi-Fi at the hotel and we would kind of go out for the day looking for our spots, like, you know, on Craigslist or whatever. And we'd get to them like, oh, we sorry, we just, you know, someone just, someone just signed. And so we'd go back kind of defeated, you know, in the evening uh, to our hotel and be like, oh, this is really difficult. So one day during lunch, and then a lot of stuff that we liked was way out of our price range or not even way out, but just out of our price range. So we were kind of needed a moment. We were in Berkeley and we stopped at this place called Cafe Gratitude and just flipped out about it. We, we, she really, Jen is one of these amazing people who can taste something and know how they know how it's made in her head. And this is before the whole vegan raw food movement. She was getting like angry with each bite going like, how is this vegan? Like, what are they using? She just couldn't process. She had no idea that there was like such things as nut butters or nut cheeses at the time. So she, um, so Cafe Gratitude, it, it really changed us and it made me feel like this is the place for me. And then thankfully, this one place that we had our, on our, like, that was our like wish list place, we thought for sure was going to get gobbled up, but they actually were looking for the right people and they were taking interviews and they actually loved us best and took us. So the Cafe Gratitude was like this, this little blessing. And then the next day we got the place of our dreams. Awesome. So, so then I imagine you move up there and you go to Cafe Gratitude a lot. I did. Right down the street. <laughs> kind of obnoxiously a lot. Um, certainly the prices were cheaper back then too than they are right. now. Probably half the price, I would imagine. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, and for those who don't know, Cafe Gratitude, um, the restaurant movement... That started in San Francisco with a couple restaurants and everything on the menu 
is an affirmation. And so you're going to order something. It's like, I can't think of them all right now. Like I am, I'll have, I'm abundant. I am bountiful. And I am a bliss. So like you're ordering a smoothie and a veggie burger. I, I don't remember the menu items very clearly these days. But I am everything, cool. I am magical. I am cool. Oh, I do know I am cool. It is a mint chocolate chip milkshake sort of thing. And it is delicious. So like I am cool. And so then, yeah. And they ask you the waiters and waitresses would come over and say, hi, would you like the question of the day? And the question of the day could be something like. Uh, well, you know, what are you grateful for is always one. What are you grateful for? Um, what inspires you? Um, uh, let's see. What do you love about your life exactly. right now? Yeah, yeah. Things like that. And so, you know, again, this is 2006, 2007. And those were just, those were forward thinking. Uh, yeah. Especially these days, uh, inspiration is more easily accessible. Let me see. Let me follow some accounts on Instagram or whatever. Right. I can get my daily dose of inspiration there. Like, so this totally. is totally different. You like walk into a restaurant get off. Oh my goodness. Like everything's an affirmation of positivity of seeing yourself. I am magical. I am this. The waiter says it back to, well, okay, you are magical. You are cool. You are bliss. And then you ask this question that makes you pause and go, Oh yeah. I don't know. What do I love about? myself oh what am i grateful for and they did it with such authenticity then yeah. it was not like a little trope or it was not just a little like uh you know it was not a gimmick it was really they you when you walked in there you walked into a world that uh was like a living affirmation you know and yeah. they served the food with love they asked you with love it was a community it was vibrant they did these things like clearings before everybody starts a shift they have a clearing with someone else so basically when they're coming into that space to work whether they're a server or the manager or a cook whatever they're getting cleared so that they are like sort of letting go of anything that could be weighing on oh, i'm annoyed by traffic i don't know what's going on with my girlfriend i have a sick this but they have this little little or whatever yeah it's a short but a powerful process to get people present to what's in their mind and then to get back into the space of being love totally and so i so the, it was the it was rest a magical of, magical space not just like oh vegan food yeah exactly <laughs> and so for me i was like who what's you know who's the oz behind like who's the wizard behind this oz and i ended up finding out that there's a couple named matthew and tiercy Englehart who are still dear friends and mentors of mine and um, they, they, they had philosophies. They had these courses. One was called Kindred Spirit, which is a relationship course. Another book they did, it's called Sacred Commerce, all about business. Um, business as a Path to Awakening. And they had a, The Bounding River, which is both a board game and a, a logbook, journaling logbook, where you can kind of ask yourself introspective questions. And it really, it, uh, I, you know, I found that and shared it with Jason and then he probably shared it with all the yeah, rest of the community. Yeah, yeah, so something I know, yeah, I'm know Matthew and Tercy's in Cafe Gratitude community via you, via Jason. We did took some different workshops. We did the transformation or workbook together. I used to offer a service called Your Partner in Transformation where I did the 42-day workbook with people every single day and it did change lives. It had such a powerful effect on me just doing this daily like 42 day thing. Um, yeah. And they are amazing. Their workshops, Matthew and Tercy's themselves were amazing. And I still like teach a lot of things that yeah, I learned from them. It was a philosophy and it was a living, breathing. It was not like, it was so much more than a restaurant. They called it a, uh, a, a school of transformation guised as a restaurant. Yeah. And that's, I want to talk to them eventually, but basically when then they say like they made up this board game and that's, so they basically needed a place to make the board game. 
like yeah, they, dis- they, had, they had to play the board game. So then they created a restaurant. <laughs> I think they thought they were going to do, this is how they worked. They were, they made a board game. It's sort of like the game of life. And they thought, because Tiercy's a, an amazing chef and cook, they thought they were going to do like, oh, like a little, you know, coffee and pastries, you know, type of, type of spot that have the board game. You could kind of go like a little gaming parlor with, with sweet treats and pastries. And then somewhere, they, they also have a farm in uh, Hawaii. Someone was um, doing a raw diet, raw food diet, and they had never heard of that. So they tried it and they could not believe how amazing they felt. And then so they thought, okay, why not do a raw, raw food, raw, organic, raw, vegan food gaming parlor, which is like the craziest sounding thing ever, <laughs> but which was part of its magic. It yeah. was so out there and it was so uniquely a world in and of itself that was palpable and experiential. Well, that's what they were like more committed to the effect of like transformation and bringing people back to, I guess, them true selves. I don't know. Yeah. That it, okay, and now we're in the process. Let's serve this amazing food. And I don't know. Yeah. And then for those of you who know the restaurants now in Los Angeles and Southern California, they're, they're still phenomenal food and restaurants, but they've, they're sort of less. There are less schools of transformation. They're not really, uh, that's not as much of the focus. It's still in They're the culture. They're more appealing to the general public while still having the affirmation, the yeah. amazing food, thing like that. But Exactly. Yeah. It was probably before it was more 50-50 and now it's definitely more, you know, restaurant focused, I would say. Uh, so Trojan let's ho- get Trojan, back. They're Trojan horsing. <laughs> so was that your first experience then in some sort of like transformational like work and workshop? Because then, yeah, from when I know you introduced that you introduced uh, me to landmark and then you've continued to do other things and like what you had touched on early like your workshop workshop aholic and stuff was that your first like experience with this sort of personal development yeah. i guess you would call it yep i mean i'd done a few yoga courses and things and but that was really if i would say for sure my first ever personal transformation, personal growth, like workshops and led me into like retreats and other things where, um, I think I, I just loved accessing probably like the infinite, you know, or accessing wisdom or accessing when this world can seem spinning out of control or crazy, you know, I, I often called myself a philosopher too. And a philosopher just means it literally translates to someone who loves wisdom. Like, you know, that's what, like, that's mm-hmm. actually what it means. Like, soph is wisdom and philo, philo is lover of. So, like, it's just a lover of wisdom. I think I've, I've been a philosopher in that sense. I just really love wisdom as it's, it's a way that I can help myself and help other people when people are going through suffering or hard times. Wisdom seems to be like a salve or a way to heal just a little nugget of like, oh yeah, that's, it's going to be okay. Which is what you do with your affirmations and things as a reminder to, um, to get back to there, or there, there is another way than, than the hardship that you're experiencing right now. Do you feel like on your journey in the many years now, since that like first being introduced to Cafe Gratitude, that like you realized I'm a workshop junkie and that's great, but also maybe like I need to pause and immerse. Like, have you ever realized, oh, maybe I need to like pause for a minute or do you still like, you know, you love learning. I do this because I love learning and benefit myself. But like, did you ever catch yourself in a, oh, is this too much? Does this need space? Like, why do I keep jumping into this to this to this? Totally. Great question. Um, yeah, I definitely took, I, def, I 
I've done some deep, deep dives and hit myself, hit my head at the bottom. Um, and I took about a good three and a half years off when I was of, of anything, probably when I was working on working on my book in these past three years, you know, I'm taking, uh, admittedly, I'm taking two year long courses now, uh, but it feels really, um, because it's sort of drawn out, it feels in a way where it's not, um, I'm not going every other weekend to, it's like a new thing or something else. Or yeah. give me the new, give me the next yeah. like hit. It feels like a slower, more like a slower yeah. IV drip. Um, and it feels way more healthy and it actually allows me to integrate. Yeah. That's the thing that I actually realized I wasn't doing before is if you're just ingesting, 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 and not doing any of the integrating work, um, it can be, you can just be spinning. So one of the things I'm happy to talk about here is I used to do a lot of plant medicine. I was doing mm -hmm. a lot of ayahuasca for a while. And that was the way you were doing it. I mean, people might not be familiar with ayahuasca and plant medicine, but for those that don't know, it's not like, let me just go take this by myself this weekend. That's usually like there's a ceremony, you're doing it in a controlled space, and that a lot of people do use it in a sense of like learning growth. Like here, come here, you're going to expand your mind and then we're going to use these tools because you're going deeper within i'm like again i'm sort of like i end up sort of describing something so that i hope other people might understand it but i don't know if i'm saying exactly the truth no that's a great it's a great way it's a it's a it's a tool it's an ally and i think people have all different relationships with it it can be a teacher but i also think that if again and i saw if you're only taking it to learn 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 without doing the homework mm. that it's giving you these experiences can give you really incredible insights. There's the yeah, word yeah. insight again. So I've done it once and I, I'm someone who has always sort of uh, been afraid of, I enjoy wine. <laughs> I enjoy alcohol. Okay. Not always. Yeah, wine's my whatever. Like, so I'm not like a sober, no nothing person, but I have always had a fear of chemical substances. So when the opportunity for me to take, I was about to call it ashwagandha, which is not the right thing. <laughs> ayahuasca <laughs> uh i really had to think about it and the reason one of the reasons i did say yes because it was again like a ceremony everybody's taking it there there are people there to like watch over you and stuff and i did have a very powerful experience where i got like maybe more but i know two distinct messages that to this day i can like tap back into and to this day those messages still serve me and I was in the community with a lot of people who were learning similar things to me. And they were along with you in different methods of now we go here and now we go here. And I was one of the people that was like, I'm good. Yep. <laughs> Not meaning I'm better than anybody and I know everything. And I'm like a personal development, like, cool, I got everything. I just realized for myself, like, I got my messages. I'm like, I'm going to keep them with my life right now. And that there's definitely, I've met many people that are like, what do you, you've only done it once. How are you? carrying on like don't you need a new message but I, those messages right now i can tap into it and be like oh right they can i only did it once and they will bring me back to oh yeah trisha that's right and there's a lot of friends of mine that i had brought and introduced to ceremony who were very similar like once or twice they're like I've, i'm good i've got my lifelong i could work with this for the rest of my life with this with this message or with this download or this insight and for me i um when I know I I went in, I did a deep dive and went around and followed some um, teachers for six years and and then left that community and then took about three and a half, almost four years off. I recently went back in there and in, in the into the Amazon back, let's see, a couple months ago. And the message was I actually couldn't I actually 
was taking the medicine and nothing was was happening. And then one um, one ceremony, the message was, "You do not need any more medicine." That's the like message you got. Like you, the medicine worked after not working, and it was. It was like you do not need any more medicine. The work you need to do is in this world, in this mm. world, and you do actually. You go to, I mean, I don't want to say everyone does. I I went to. I don't even know if there are other worlds or realms, but there's a, there's different states of consciousness is what it felt like expanded awareness. And, um, that can be pretty illuminating another shiny object to kind of go after. And it feels like a freedom. It feels like a, uh, uh, not just a high. I mean, definitely. And it doesn't feel like a, it's a less of a high and more of a, yeah, I wouldn't describe it as a high at no, all. No, it's not a high, but there's but there's a there's a bliss to some of those. Yeah, no, 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 totally, and that's what like I can go to those. Like I said, the messages I got, I can right now be like, oh, and I feel that bliss, and I feel this expansion coming out of my chest, like right now, even going back to it. But when you're in it, you're not like high. No, like it's I'm not like high. Cur- curled up in a sleeping bag or on the toilet. Was my- <laughs> totally. So you can go to both those toilet, sleeping bag, fetal positions, or ultimate, you know, blissful places. It feels like a a place that's more, as expansive as the spirit, rather than just with like the limitations of the body. Yeah. And so to be able to go there, there's a real freedom, um, or just uh, an expansion, I guess, is the way that I would describe it. And I loved traveling there, and there was wisdom there, and I loved bringing it back. And what I can see is I've accumulated enough wisdom, and now my work is to really integrate it here, and I feel fantastic there. I feel, I feel fantastic being able to do that because there's no place I'm trying to get other than right here. Mm. And I realize that even those other realms, whether they're, you know, I mean, in any spiritual path, there's places talked about of nirvana or enlightenment or that even if you're going to get there, you still need to be here, right? That, That here is the way. So, um, I've, you know, it was a, it was a, a long, perfectly calibrated, perfectly curated journey for me to be able to get that that work and now um my art is has also been a way my art and my writing has been a way for me to translate those journeys and i think that my book keepers of color is a it's a medicine ceremony without needing to take the medicine it's a creative medicine ceremony in a way and so it'll take you on a journey into yourself and you guide it and there's a little adorable character named color who acts as the shaman who acts as the little guide to take you to places uh, within your imagination, you know, and within your dreams, within your hopes, within your wishes. And that felt like a a beautiful way to integrate uh, all of my um, all of the wisdom I've garnered uh, in a in a in a practical way. I don't think the book by any means is perfect, but I do think it's um I do think it's uh, uh, I'm so glad I did it. I know that I needed to do it. I know that the people who who get it and understand it really love it and have been grateful for it. So um I'm excited to see what the muse is and what inspiration asks of me next. Two things. One, I, when you were talking about like getting to that nirvana or ecstasy, then I, it made me think of a book that I love that you introduced me to years ago. What was it after the ecstasy, the laundry? Yeah. Still one of my top five. And yeah. I, you even... gave that book to me so long ago. And that is same thing. Like one of my top five, which is right. It's like stories from, it's that exact thing, probably. It's that exact moment brought into ways where, and I think that the irony that I can see now and laugh at myself for was 
it's been sort of one of my favorite books, but I wasn't even getting the lesson of it. You know, I really well, that's <laughs> also it's like you gave me that book like maybe 10 years ago, but you're maybe having this aha three years ago after yeah. you gave gave that book to not just me. Totally. But like, but no, yeah, like not like, oh, John, silly John, but like that's like life, though. No, no, that's <laughs> we a- got to like keep getting the message and even giving it before we're like, oh, <laughs> I now get that. I get that book on a whole new deeper I can level. now rewrite my version of that book. That book is that message. That book is that of after any kind of high of even like, you know, it, it, I think it, one of the sentences in, in the book is, you know, after the honeymoon comes the real task of a marriage, you know, after getting elected comes the real task of governance and kind of actually having to, uh, uh, you know, no longer campaign, but do the kind of work of, you know, um, political political agendas. And then after um, the ecstasy comes the laundry, doing the dishes, the sort of everyday things of life. Even if you get the highest, most successful level, the, you know, Buddhist monk that reaches enlightenment, then there's still the dishes or there's still the laundry. There's still the person that doesn't uh, understand what you're trying to say or whatever, the misunderstandings. There's still... That's the whole point of claim it. <laughs> like that is the, the reason it's called claim it is being like our joy, our fulfillment, our worth, our enlightenment is out there somewhat, but not really. We have to be the one that's like, oh, I have to claim this right now. Totally. Yeah. Once I, I get yeah. that out there, or maybe you even have that feeling, that success. It's not saying like, don't strive for anything yeah. for enlightenment, for the success for that. But like, once you get there, then it's still like the next day and like something happened. There's traffic. There's <laughs> we're not no matter how great you are or anything, you're not safe from uh, suffering from the laundry. Yeah, the, I think that I, I believe I'm mean, pretty sure that if I don't know if you've heard that term chop wood, carry water, but that was no. actually you never heard that term. Uh-huh. OK, chop wood, carry water. It's a it's a term. I think the Buddha, the Buddha coined the phrase chop wood, carry water, which is. Someone asked, like, hey, you know, how do you how do you get into enlightenment? Chop wood, carry water. Okay, what do you do after enlightenment? Chop wood, carry water. Just meaning like you just gotta keep the everyday toils and tasks is a labor and be present with that. And then after you get enlightenment, you realize that's that that both suffering and hard work and labor is the same thing as bliss anyway. So it doesn't really matter. You're not trying to avoid like the the labor of things. Right. So yeah. Yeah. After the Ecstasy of the Laundry by Jack Cornfield. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Also, how how did you know when you said you were like within something for six years or something and that you realized like you needed to leave or maybe this wasn't serving you anymore? Like, what was that acknowledging or choice like for you? Because I'm sure you were in a community, you're with people, I don't know, a leader, whatever, betting yourself. You're in this place to better yourself. You're growing, you're learning. And then at one place being like, oh. Yeah, there was just a moment. There was something that kind of occurred in the, in the community. And there was just a moment that was just very clear. Oh, I'm done. Like it was a moment that presented itself. And I realized, got it. Like I am, I am no longer following this. Um, yeah, like it was, it was just a, such a, the, the, way, the way a situation was handled within this uh, community. Got it. So there was like an occurrence that there was an occurrence it. that really kind of had me had me really get. Oh, that's not a leader. That's not a. Um, that's not how I would move forward, or would or would want someone to move forward. And uh, great, like I can I can I can with a 
grateful bow, say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and um, let me now honor the teacher, the leader, the the teachings, the community by um, integrating all this wisdom myself. You know, yeah. because even on any hero's journey, like I think about Luke Skywalker or anyone, <laughs> Luke Skywalker had to go beyond. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda, like which who were like amazing teachers. He ultimately said, even though these guys were amazing, he actually had to kind of go out on his own anyways. You know, so yeah. even if you have the most incredible teachers, there comes a day where you're gonna have to go out on your own and uh, really kind of live, yeah. it, live it yourself. So it's uh, you know, doesn't doesn't have to be any big drama or gossipy thing as much as like I just kind of very clearly got yeah. I am self-choosing to leave the nest. And that's why I'm not trying to get into drama or gossip, but more like making a choice, whoever you are, to be like, wait, this situation doesn't serve me anymore. Even if it's something that was like meant for you to like grow and like your community. And so since there was something that happened that like triggered you, uh, so maybe like helped you make your choice to leave at that time, then how was it afterwards? Were you like, you know, did you have any struggles with now not being in a community that you had so like loved and adored and growed within for so long? Like, uh, great question. I think that there was a sort of a little bit of a little mass exodus. So there were people that left all at the same time and some didn't. But not so even so, even if you're not alone, I'm guessing like do second guess. Oh, I, I, had, feel... I had zero second guesses. Okay. But personally. not second guess leaving, second guess like what you had done. Like I'm basically, is, is was there any shadowy stuff that came up in, okay, cool. I realize this isn't for me anymore and maybe easier because there was a mass exodus uh-huh. and something happened. But like that transition from then not being in this place you had been held for years, even if everybody else left to like, well, what now? And what was I doing? Yeah, again? yeah. There's definitely been the complete introspection of like, whoa, what was that? You know, what was the lessons? What was I doing? What didn't I see? You know, what was that about? So yes, a thousand percent. I'm still learning those things. And also... um, I never regretted the decision, still haven't. Um, there was, there is more of like a, okay, what am I going to claim now? You know, like there's a real autonomy. And I think that that has been the shadow side of any of my seeking has been like, someone else has something outside of me, you know, right. someone else has even teachers and wisdom. And I also, I also, you know, I don't want to call it like, that's an only a shadow thing, because I do believe that, um, you know, if there's any younger audience listening to this, that I'm happy to share the wisdom I've learned so that you don't have to kind of go through that, right? In the same way, these elders that I've had have made their mistakes and shared so that, you know, the next generation might not have to kind of go through that. So I've always been looking to just glean and garner wisdom. Um, And I also, I think as the oldest child, I never had an older Mm. brother, mentor, anybody to like help me along the way or kind of, you know, be a guide. And so I've kind of been my own like seeker and looked for people for that. Yeah. But just, you know, I turned 40 last year. I think something around the timing was like, okay, like. So you feel more like the seeking is more coming within than from external now? Yep. And also, I mean, or it's just more integrated, it's more balanced, right? Like there's, it's my seek, like, um, there's a guy named Richard Rohr. Who I love. He's a uh, he has a school called the Living School. That's actually one of the two year programs that I'm in. And their whole philosophy is that your life itself becomes the path, the practice, and the teacher. Your life itself. So love this that. this conversation we're having is my teacher. You know, driving on the freeway is my teacher. Right? Totally. 
the food I'm, I'm eating so down with is that. my teacher. So that that's what student of life and like was one of my still on some product, but like, yeah, that's it. So like really like my life itself is my path and being able to trust that. And I can see yeah. that at some level I was seeking because I didn't trust my mm-hmm. own, either my yeah. own path or my own balance, or like, I didn't trust myself to be able to walk it without falling. Yeah. So I was looking for who else has like paved the road for me. So I don't have to like yeah. go get lost and fall and trip and get stuck in the brambles. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I'm diving into that conversation because like you might've been like a different case, but I definitely see so many people like constantly seeking more. Okay. I need to learn more, but more self-improvement, more self-core, more this. And they're constantly seeking, okay, whether it's like now I follow this wellness trend or this or whatever it is that so often we're just looking for external because there's so much amazing advice out there and so many amazing mentors and people and teachers that, yeah, then it leaves though many people not stopping to look within as much or to trust themselves that like people don't even know what their intuition is because they're not making space for listening. And that I think that also it can feel like, oh, am I saying like I'm better than someone else because I'm not going to take that advice or because like, you know, there was even that some struggle came up for me. Like I said, where I was like in some like growth oriented stuff and almost everybody else continued. And I was like, no, I'm good. And I was like, oh, does that mean like I'm trying to say I know everything or I'm better? But I just was like, I need integration. I'm I'm like, without me knowing even the term of integration like that. And so like just knowing for people to like, yeah, like keep listening more to themselves. And it doesn't mean don't take any advice or just that, but like, or even did you find yourself asking like when you went to and re-enroll in this other class system, like what am I looking to learn or why am I seeking? I think I no. again, I've been really listening to trust my gut and there's something that's like, no, this, um, this felt like the part of my healing integration, you know, this philosophy where it's really self-empowered. This felt like the, you know, again, I know it's ironic because it's still something outside Being of led, me, but, but yeah, but really kind of, it's a school that really studies like uh, just mysticism and the mystics and all these people who have just been lifelong seekers, but ultimately became uh, autonomous, like in and of themselves, who are, whether they're poets or artists or um, theologians or spiritual, you know, you know, like the Gandhis of the world, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, that they, they, they became activists in this world and self-empowered yeah. by integrating the, you know, the, the wisdom and the lessons that they had learned. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm, when I, and then this has been, it's been the most sort of vivid, clear philosophy to date of like your life itself is your path, the practice and the teacher. And when I stand in that, I can then have like compassion for myself to realize, oh, all of this other, all of my past life was also my path, my practice and my teacher, you know? Yeah. And so even the, the detour, even needing other teachers was just part of what I needed. I needed the training wheels longer and that's okay, you know? Well, yeah. And that's what I'm like, I'm not against anybody. Like I'm obviously like I teach cur- courses and like, I want people to learn. So like not against that, but yeah, like the, where to like find, where do we look? Yeah. Like when do we need to take time to integrate or ask and when to like, yeah, I think, um, to a teacher. you know, like you said, when you said, I'm good, I'm good. There is like a, a needing to know like you're full and need to digest just like eating food. It's like you can take in, yeah. you can take in a lot of like information and this you is, need to integrate it, digest it. This is reminding me of, I had just wrote some new cards for the Own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. And one was like, trust what you're feeling 
even if you don't know what you're feeling. Mm. If something feels off, trust that. If something yeah. feels right, trust that. And I'd wrote that and like shared it. And then I stumbled upon something on Instagram where somebody had post, if you can like, it was something like, if you can describe what your intuition is, you don't know what it is. And I was like, oh shit, that makes so much sense. And I've never heard that. But like, yeah, whereas the same thing, whereas that like me knowing like, uh, I'm good. Like it's her intuitions are such a weird thing. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, and where I have been like, I don't know when we make these choices, like, I don't know, something told me because usually it's like, uh, it's like a scare. There's all sorts of emotions tied in with it, but just that like n- trusting some feeling. You know, when I stand back and again, you've seen, uh, you know, you know, Josh Radner too. And he has that yeah. one movie, he has the two movies, but that movie, Happy Thank You More, Please. And one of the, there's a line in the movie that says, every five years ago, you realize what an asshole you were five years ago, you know? <laughs> and um, you could just, you know, substitute asshole for like ignorant or like, you know, silly or totally. whatever, unconscious. And so I say this knowing that I might, you know, in five years, this might not sound that wise, but what I can see now from where I am is at some level, I, um, it, it really was self-doubt and just not believing in myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that I was, um, you know, ever since being born, I was like, okay, here's this world here. <laughs> like, how do I live this correctly? Right. How do I mm. please my parents? How do I please my teachers? How do I please, uh, you know, the authorities, government, you know, the policemen, the, uh, God, you know, whatever this is, how do I live correctly? There's no manual for that. And so I would seek out people who at least were offering a semblance of like. No, yeah, I mean you studied with some great people. I'm not saying you no, went down. Totally. Like- <laughs> no, totally. I know. I know that I did. I but I have been saying there's that ran my show for a while where I would outsource my trust mm-hmm. to other people. And again, I'm grateful for them, and they're kind of like integrated in me now. But I also realized to honor them is to say. To be like the best student is to say, I've learned what you've given me and now I'm going to go live it and remember those things, you know? But if I'm kind of clinging to the nest, it's almost creating codependence. Like I actually don't believe in your teachings because I need to be reminded again and again and again, I'm going to be here to sort of say, to honor their teachings is to say, thank you. And I actually believe in what you say and I'm going to go test it, you know, kind of road test it on my own. And I believe in myself. I believe that I actually know that I'm good enough. Where if I mess up, if I make a mistake, that I can apologize and clean things up, you know? And, um, and you know, I'm learning. It's funny. One of the last podcasts I was on, I was even talking about, you remember, do you remember, well, I don't even want to say your name. I had, a, I had an affair at, at one point and I was talking about it and I kind of really realized that I kind of just mm, closed up the relationship really sort of nicely. It was like, well, it was, that was just a real big, like lustful thing. And it wasn't sort of meant to be. And I do believe that if it was true love, it wouldn't have kind of gone that way, but that doesn't mean there wasn't love there or there wasn't actual real emotions or there wasn't like, you know, we spent Mm. a lot of time together and there was real feelings and happiness and laughter and a lot of things expressed that I don't think it can be just sort of summed up all nice and clean. Like, well, that was an affair and it was just all lust based and it was uh, never meant to be. Because that doesn't really honor. I mean, I need to. I need to also acknowledge that that happened. Yeah. But also say there was, um, there was a lot of love there. There was a lot of happiness and a lot of smiles. You know, mixed up in all of that. So I'm learning to uh, integrate even the things that I can look back and thought were mistakes, and to realize, oh, 
that was a lesson. It doesn't have to be so black and white that uh, there, there, but I need to acknowledge both the black and the white, and then also the sort of the gray and all the all the other areas. So that's something that just in my own spiritual journey and my art is trying to help people do. And I think that politically and environmentally, there's such these stark cases, and I'm I'm learning that. By living true to myself, that becomes this third way, this emergent way that isn't so polarized, you know? That if your path becomes the practice and the teacher, and you realize everyone else's life is that too, Mm -hmm. um, and can meet people as their ever-evolving self, you're meeting them with an open heart, Mm -hmm. an open mind, and then you're meeting them with this open openness where something miraculous can actually show up. Yeah. And so that's just sort of where I'm at now. Again, now five years from now, I can be like, that was <laughs> naive for me to say, but yeah, that's, that's my current practice. I love that that's where you got to. Cause that's what I was like seeing that it's like in my, uh, greater self-awareness and all of the many things that we as humans are like constantly processing and in our minds and head like lives and all of that, like my more self-awareness only makes me more aware of what everybody else has got that i don't know shit about even if i think i know your stories and i've seen you live them or whatever i don't know what's going on in your mind and that like oh i've got this self-sabotaging thing i've got this doubt thing i've got this i blah 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 this thing i'm not the only one like so basically my constant self-awareness has led to way more compassion for myself and for everybody else so that even if somebody is so if it's like here's someone somebody different for me whatever that it's like knowing like the greater compassion for everybody and like to not be as quick to judge or to quick as shoot somebody down or to quick to say i'm right and you're wrong or whatever it is that like our own personal like looking within and being like our own student constantly like is only like yeah creates more connection to everyone else yeah so that's my current study is really the study of the paradox now. The paradox. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things they they were saying was that to see through the eyes of a mystic is to not have to resolve the suffering. Meaning mm. you don't have to, meaning you don't have to kind of clean that up. You know, that's not your, you can see that for what it is. Yeah. And to say, wow, that's gnarly. That's like, I cannot believe the lows of which humanity can go or yeah. like, the power or primal nature of what, you know, what nature can do or where like the darkness that's alive. Right. And you can hold that in the same breath and heartbeat as the glory and the light filled and the joy filled world. Right. And then not have to, not have to make, not have to sort of separate them as two. Yeah. I love that. And I don't know if it's in line with what I'm thinking, but I'm spending more time sharing more about like hey it's not like be positive or look at the glass half full or that but just sort of like what if you just saw this is what it is and then choose you know to make that but like not having to erase or name things as negative or bad or this it's just like hey that's happening one of the craziest um helpful tools for me about this this was um you know you know trent yeah okay trent trent shared with this me trent is such a character he's he's definitely a spirit guide for me um but he shared and got me following this instagram account called nature is metal <laughs> nature is metal nature is metal and it 
just shows like the real brutality of nature. You know, it's not like, oh, when we th- when you see the nature documentaries, oh, it's like a lion's, well, and you just sort of see them eating a zebra. But like the savageness of what actually really sort of happens for life to sort of sustain itself. Uh. I mean, we just tend to think of like, oh, well, we should be in nature and nature is like peaceful because we're thinking- Right, let's like, get out into nature. Trees are, you know, are wonderful yeah. and they are. But there's, but real the nature, the of reality nature. of nature is so metal yeah. at times. It's not like it's not, it's got peaceful too. It has definitely got symphonies, but there is some heavy metal in nature and it's wild. Like you see seagulls, like what they'll just take out one and they'll just totally body, like, you know, they'll just like gang kill like another seagull. And I'm just like, wow, I never, you just don't think about those things until you see how like ferocious it can be. And it just made me realize that, you know, again, I still don't know what to do with that animal savagery in and of myself. I don't, I don't know. I think that's a, I think that's a worthy thing to wrestle with in a life, you know, like, wow, there's this animal aspect, this primal aspect that wants to procreate or kill or, or, you know, that we have, we have that somehow. I don't know. I don't like, you know, that's part of what I've what my deep seeking was looking for is, can I renounce this? Can I get rid of this aspect of me? Can I uh, annihilate the ego? Can I annihilate right. these aspects? Is that possible? And um, I, I I still don't know. But I also know that where I'm at now is I'm at least trying to bring my awareness to it, that it exists. I can name it. I can claim it. I can call it out. And I can begin to work with it and have it shape me and realize that um, these might be the big questions that are worth my life and worth my majesty is to be, begin to contemplate them and to say, hey, who am I going to be in the face of this? With given this choice of savagery um, versus, you know, peacefulness, what can I choose? And there's a great book, another book that's on moral psychology of like, when are things right and not right, you know, to do? And these are just massive mind-bending questions that um, as a philosopher, I would be doing the shallow, shallow end dive if I didn't go, if I didn't really like look and see what, what, what all was there, you know? So this is a wild, crazy world we live in. <laughs> and uh, I just want to be brought to life by engaging in it. Yeah. I'm going to get to the questions I finish off with, which is I have everybody pick a keychain of which phrase they feel they most want to be reminded of the most right now. So what did you pick and why? I picked everything is going my way for a few, a few reasons. One is just the one that energetically stuck out to me, but also I have an inner cynic that I can see, ugh, like I'm so used to getting no's or I'm so used to getting things not working out that I like probably subconsciously sabotage a lot or think that it's just not going to happen. And I'd much rather live in Everything is going my way, even if that way doesn't look like the way I want it to, you know, yep. that's working on my behalf. Much like we talked about in this whole conversation is clearly Plan B San Diego had me <laughs> be here and had me be on this couch and I have to trust in that intelligence or even trust in my own choice and making it happen. Yeah. That I am like the, I'm autonomous in my, in my choices and I can, I can own them. I can claim my choices and realize that I'm not going to be victim to like, oh, well, that was a hard, you know, I didn't get into art school or I didn't get into film school. And therefore here's the life that I was just given because it wasn't the one I really wanted. Like, Mm. no, like everything's going my way, no matter what. Everything is going your way. What is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? Mm. 
writing every morning. Yeah. I love writing and Is working that like on journaling or like creative writing creative writing yeah i'm still working on a big opus of mine is a film that i think now might be a tv show because i realize tv shows nowadays can be like 800 hour films basically yeah. if they go for multiple seasons so uh i'm working on that and then i i really do love a good workout like if i go for a run or just get in my body yeah i never regret it you know i never get a yoga class never regret a jump in the ocean never regret a workout yeah okay i had this phrase that I shared earlier this year, and I ask everybody how to apply it to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Mm. So like what is easiest for me is to, what is best is to- Got it. Great idea. Great, great question. So let me think about this. Hmm. What is easiest for me is to stay in my comfort zone. And what is best for me is to always live just past my edge in all areas, food, diet, exercise, um, work ethic, um, Instagram, uh, like, you know, screen time, all of that. <laughs> yeah. Discipline. Awesome. Uh, okay. The final question is the name of the podcast is Claim It. Uh -huh. What are you claiming for yourself right now? I'm claiming that my art and philosophy um, can come together as educational and colorful tools for humanity. Love it. And I really, I, my, I, I, I'm claiming that I will one day have, or that I'm creating right now, a production studio where I can, that's basically an idea factory where I can um, bring these ideas and my imagination to life in a way that it can help humanity through educational, colorful musings. Love it. Love you, John. Love you. Thanks Thank for you. This sharing was great. so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A couple things. <laughs> After we finished recording that episode, we were recording it at our mutual friend, Jason Mraz's studio and when we finished the recording we walked out and saw jason and we're like oh hey how are you and he said oh you know after the ecstasy doing the laundry <laughs> like we had just talked about that book in the episode and then the first thing jason said to us was like oh i'm just doing the laundry <laughs> because he had been having an echo he had just um worked on an epic project and now it was the day-to-day -day tasks so that was like hilarious to us. And also right after that, they were both like, oh, hey, we're having a workshop this weekend. Do you want to come, Trisha? <laughs> and I said, yes. And at the workshop, we joked about John's workshopaholicism and we reframed it as his relentless commitment to his personal development, which sounds much nicer because there isn't anything wrong with being a workshopaholic, being a seeker, being a learner. But remembering, as we talked about in the episode, take the time and space to integrate it, to pause before you jump from one thing to the next and make sure you're actually activating the tools and carrying them into your life. Okay, for more about John, go to johnmorrow.com. Links will be below. He's at John Morrow on Instagram. His book, The Keeper of Color, you can find pretty much everywhere books are sold. And especially I'll have a link for that below. You can get it on Amazon, of course. 
for full show notes and the links to things that we've mentioned, including the books, go to yourdrologist.com slash podcast, John Morrow. For all things me, yourdrologist.com at yourdrologist on Instagram. And as always, I invite you to subscribe and leave a review on the podcast and share the episode. Let us know your favorite parts. We love hearing from you. And if you do leave a review, screenshot it, email it to me at podcast at yourdrologist.com. And each week I pick a review, a person that submits a review. You have to send it to me so I know. You get a box of my, my inspiring products. Affirmation deck, a journal, keychain, mug. Fill you up with some good stuff. So what does it hurt? Leave the review, send it to me. And I'm going to leave you today thinking about what are you claiming for yourself right now in this moment? And I'd love to hear it. Send me a DM and claim it out loud.